0: And One of the blessings of being married to a nurse is that, um, well, one, she's always thinking in medical categories, and she's always looking out for my health. And I've realized, being married to Barbara over the years, that I, I don't think in medical categories, like for most of my life, it's just kind of two categories, do I feel well or do I feel bad? Um, and I'm not much more in tune to my own health than that feel sick or I feel fine. Um, But I catch on. I'm a little bit of a slow learner, but over time I've I've caught on. Whenever I would mention to Barbara that I had a headache, the first question she always asked me was, how much water have you had today? And the first time she asked me, I just remember thinking, what? What does that have to do with anything? I have a headache. She said, well, don't you know that's a sign of possible hydration, dehydration setting in. So I, I've caught on. Now I don't even tell her I have a headache. I just go get a drink of water and see if that starts to uh, alleviate the symptoms. Did you know that your soul feels thirst also? Just as your body does. I mean, your, your body feels thirst and you know how to recognize signs of thirst or some of the signs anyway. I always thought thirst was just, Either I feel thirsty or I don't. Um, didn't realize that there were other symptoms, but you, you know how that feels when you're parched and your mouth is dry and you feel fatigued and listless and you, you crave ice-cold water, or maybe you have a headache that's related. Your soul also feels thirsts. But do you know the signs and the symptoms of soul thirst? Do you know how to recognize that? And if so, do you know what to do and where to go and how to quench the thirst of your soul when you see those signs? That's what John chapter 4, 1 through 29 is all about. So let's give our attention to this text as God himself addresses us through words breathed out by God, holy and authoritative and sufficient for our souls. This is John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Let's pray. Jesus, the words that you speak are spirit and life. The flesh is no help at all. It is the spirit who gives life. And so we pray that you would sanctify us, cleanse us, purify us, rejuvenate us by your word. Your word is truth, and we trust it, and believe it, and receive it this morning for your glory and for our good. Amen. So is your soul thirsty? That's the question that this text poses. This text is about two kinds of thirst. It is about physical thirst, natural thirst on some level, but it's also about Spiritual thirst. And again, we're all familiar with physical thirst, so we can relate to Jesus and his incredibly ordinary human experience that's described here. Jesus was traveling from Jerusalem, the region of Judea in the south, up to the north, to the region of Galilee, which is a good 70 mile journey. That, that's like walking from Sioux Falls to Mitchell, okay? To give you a sense of, not crazy far, but if you're walking, that's a good distance, right? That's the kind of journey Jesus was on. And John tells us that around noon, the sixth hour, so the heat of the day, Jesus was worn out. He was physically exhausted. He was thirsty. So he sat down by a well, by Jacob's well. Let's not pass too quickly by this astonishing description of the Word made flesh. Jesus was, and and Jesus is, he remains to this day fully human. He's not a ghost, he's not a spirit, he's not an illusion. This is incredible that the eternal, inexhaustible, infinite, omnipotent Son of God was weary and thirsty? How could that be? Well, here's how, in a nutshell. Jesus is one person with two natures, completely human, completely divine, and those two natures are joined inseparably and yet not mixed. They're not mingled or diluted in any way. Listen to how the Belgic Confession explains this. His human nature has not lost its properties, but continues to have those of a Creature, It has a beginning of days. The eternal Son of God has no birthday. Jesus, the man, his human nature, has a beginning. He was born. He has a birthday. His human nature is of a finite nature and retains all that belongs to a real body, like fatigue and thirst. And even though he, by his resurrection, gave it that is his human nature, immortality. He gave his human nature immortality, yet that nonetheless did not change the reality of his human nature for our salvation and our resurrection depend also on the reality of his body. Have you contemplated the glory of that? He took on human flesh in its entirety, not just pieces of it. He didn't just come to pretend to be a human. He took on full human nature and gave it immortality and your resurrection from the dead depends on him having a body that got weary and thirsty. Here's why that matters. Jesus is about to take a totally ordinary everyday experience for us, physical thirst, as an opportunity to address soul thirst. But not because our bodies don't matter. We're not Neoplatonists. We don't hold to the philosophy of Plato that just the the unseen spiritual world is perfect and good and anything material is bad and imperfect. We're not Gnostics. We don't believe the soul alone matters and the body is worthless. Jesus came to give immortality, eternal life to whole humans, body and soul not just to take our spirits away to float in the clouds forever. So, so keep that in mind throughout all of this as Jesus, what he, as Jesus does what he does repeatedly in the Gospel of John. He breaks into natural, physical, everyday moments with profound and glorious heavenly realities. He asks a Samaritan woman for a drink. And she's initially taken aback by that request. How could he, a Jewish man, possibly ask for a drink from her, a Samaritan woman? But Jesus corrects her. He tells her she's asking the wrong question. The question is not, how dare you ask me for a drink of water? The question she ought to be asking is, would you please give me a drink of water? And he says, if you knew, John 4, verse 10, if you knew what the gift of God is, you would want it. If you knew who it is that's standing here in front of you, you would ask me for that. If you only knew, and God's purpose for us through this text is that we would know and ask. It's clear from her response, she's still thinking on a physical, natural level. Verse 11, the woman says to him, Sir, you don't have anything to draw water with. That's nice of you and everything, but where are you going to get this water? The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? But Jesus has moved on now from physical thirst to supernatural thirst. He's moved on from natural water to supernatural water. The water that he's offering her is different than the water that he asked for from her. And the reason is because Jesus knows that her soul is parched and dry. And he knows that your soul experiences thirst. And so he puts his finger on the issue when he says to her in verse 16, go call your husband and come here. What does that have to do with anything? He's not abruptly changing topics. He's, He's moving the conversation from natural water, physical thirst to the root issue. He is identifying the thirst of her soul. Because we all feel soul thirst, but we don't all realize that what we're feeling is a sign and symptom of the thirst of our souls. Remember from John 2, 25, Jesus knows what is in every person. And he knows about her that she has been trying to quench the longings of her soul through the attention and the affection of men. She says to him, "I have no husband." Ah, You're right. You have no husband. In fact, you've had five, and the man that you're sleeping with now, you're not even married to. You speak the truth. She may come to Jacob's well for drinking water, but there is no question where she goes when she's searching for soul satisfaction. Jeremiah chapter 2 verses 12 through 13 says that this is the ultimate and the appalling, the shocking sin of all humanity against the living God. Every time you go to anyone or anything other than God to satisfy the thirst of your soul, listen to this language, be appalled, O heavens. I mean, God calls the very heavens to be Appalled, be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. One, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And two, they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water Twin sins, forsaking God the fountain of living water and instead turning to broken and empty cisterns that don't have any water in them and going to those wells again and again and again for soul satisfaction. Be shocked. That's our sin. So what are the broken and empty cisterns from which you try to draw water and satisfy your soul Over and over again. Tim Keller, I think, helpfully says one of the ways you can find out is just finish one of these sentences. Life only has meaning if, fill in the blank. I only have worth if, fill in the blank. So we can start with the Samaritan woman. I only have worth if I have the attention and the affection of a man. But it could be anything, and it is everything in all of us. Life only has meaning if I have power and influence and success. Then my life has meaning. Or life only has meaning if I have the time and the freedom to enjoy, fill in the blank with your leisure activity of choice, your hobby of choice. If I don't have time for that, if other people and other things and other responsibilities get in my way, life is not worth living I only have worth if I have this look, this body image, this appearance. I only have worth if I can maintain control over, or fill in the blank, the area of your life. Could be your finances, could be your health, could be your kids, could be your spouse, could be your job. Life only has meaning if I have wealth and possessions and money or I only have worth if my race and my culture and my political party and my social issue of choice is on the rise and doing well in the news every day. Or if Mr. or Mrs. Wright is in my life, or you get the picture, you have a sense of what that might be for you. Where does your soul go for soul satisfaction? What do you rely on or comfort yourself with when life is hard? Keller says, Ask yourself, where, where does your mind turn when you daydream? When you've got free time, where does your mind go? Or, or ask yourself, what gets you through the week or the day? Oh, I can get through this week because this is coming up. Those are broken cisterns, they hold no water. Why, why was it that the Samaritan woman burned through five marriages and was onto her sixth man? Because no amount of attention, no amount of approval or affirmation, no physical attraction could satisfy her soul. It reminds me of this quote from David Foster Wallace who wasn't a Christian, but as Paul quoted some of the poets and authors of his culture, I think he nails it. This is incredible insight. He's recognizing the emptiness of the cisterns. He goes to over and over. He says this, worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you in the ground. Worship power. You will always feel weak and afraid. You will need ever more power over others to keep that fear at bay. You will never quite have enough. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart. You will end up feeling stupid, like a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on, and so on. But there's hope for thirsty souls. Jesus freely offers soul-satisfying, living water. That's the main point of this text. John 4, verse 10, Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Then in verses 13 and 14, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give will become in Him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Jesus is the source of soul-satisfying living water. What does that mean? How does that water differ from the water we're used to? On one level, the, the term living water just communicates this idea of fresh water, flowing water, running water from a spring or a fountain. It's not stagnant. It's not standing water, you know, the kind that gets filled with bacteria and parasites and mosquitoes breed there. It's running water. But Jesus is also talking about living water on a completely different level, more than just fresh water, This is supernatural water. He's talking about two kinds. Everyone who drinks this water from Jacob's well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks this water, the water that I offer, will never be thirsty. The water Jesus gives is better than the water from Jacob's well because it's different than the water from Jacob's well. Spiritual not water molecules, it's supernatural. And natural water quenches our bodily thirst, so living water quenches the thirst of our souls. But remember, I said this a couple weeks ago when we were talking about new birth, supernatural and spiritual does not mean fake or imaginary. Living water is not like the kind of water that you might find in Neverland. Remember that movie Hook with Robin Williams? And he's an adult, Peter Pan, who goes back to Neverland. He sits down for this feast with all the lost boys. Just, like, nod your head if you know at all what I'm talking about. That helps. Okay. So, you know that scene? And they have this imaginary feast, and the the dishes come out, and they're steaming, and they open the cover, and he's just famished. They open the covers of these pots, and there's nothing in it. And all the lost boys just start to dig in and, you know, pass that, please. And, Peter, are you going to eat that? And they're just making all of these sounds like they're enjoying a meal. And Peter's looking around like, what are you doing? When he finally gets it and he starts pretending with them, the lost boys say to him, you're doing it, Peter. You're using your imagination. Living water is not a matter of using our imagination. I mean, we're all just parched. Our souls have these desires. And you know, if we just, you know, mind over matter, just tell ourselves... I'm not actually thirsty. My soul doesn't actually have all these desires. Just imagine it. Just play mind tricks. It's not a mind trick. Living water is spiritual water because it's water provided by the Holy Spirit. That's what spiritual means. Provided by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 14, the water I will give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus talks just like that in chapter 7, verse 38, when he says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Talking about the same thing, but this text gives us a little more clarity. Verse 39 says, now this he said about the spirit. It's spiritual water because it's water provided by the Holy Spirit. When Jesus promises infinite springs of water, he's talking about the Holy Spirit being poured out into our hearts, which is exactly what the Old Testament prophets foretold. When they promised that God would send his Spirit on all flesh, they described that event, that experience, as God pouring out water on thirsty ground. Isaiah 44, 3, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground, which is the same as I will pour out my Spirit upon your offspring. God pouring out His Spirit is God pouring out water on thirsty land. And the living water of the Spirit is real water. It's real because it it really quenches real thirsts of your very real soul. I mean you know what physical thirst feels like, right? You know how to recognize that, you know that experience. You also know what heart thirsts feel like, right? You feel those symptoms, you 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 feel anxious at times, or you feel worried and afraid, or you feel lonely, or you feel guilty, or you feel despair and hopelessness, and it just sets in, and you feel it, right? You feel proud and arrogant at times, covetous, envious, jealous of others at times. You feel envy, you feel lust, you feel bitterness and resentment and desire for revenge. Your soul feels those things just like your body feels thirst. Do you recognize those as signs and symptoms that your soul is parched and dry? That's what they are. And you know, even if just in part, even if just by cheap stagnant water from broken wells, you know what it feels like when your soul just gets a drop of satisfaction and relief, right? You know what it feels like to feel peace instead of the anxiety, you get good news and that thing you're afraid of isn't going to happen after all and oh, everything's fine. You know what that feels like. You, your soul senses that. Spiritual thirst is not imaginary. You sense it. Our soul senses are real. Jesus offers an inexhaustible reservoir of soul-satisfying living water. Now, the Samaritan woman, at first her concern was totally natural. She, she says when she hears about living water, Sir, give me that so that I won't have to come and draw water from this well. She's still imagining, well, that'd be nice. I won't have to come and draw water from this well. She's just thinking about how nice it would be not to have to make trips to the well for water. But Jesus is talking about eternal life. Jesus is frequently misunderstood throughout the Gospel of John. Remember Nicodemus and the new birth conversation? And Nicodemus is saying, let me get this straight. How does a man re-enter his mother's womb to be born a second time? Totally thinking on a physical level. In chapter 6, Jesus is going to tell people, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they go, what? And a bunch of people leave. They just walk away. Remember, the Spirit gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Keep that distinction in your mind and just ask, is this something that the flesh... And blood can do, or is this something that only the Spirit of God can do? Modern plumbing has done for us what this woman was hoping for, right? Saves us trips to the well. Just turn on a faucet, and you've got fresh, running water. Jesus is not talking about what mere flesh and blood can do. He's not talking about modern conveniences He's talking about living water for our souls from the spirit of God he gives to us. And he offers this freely and generously. This is one of the most comforting things to me in this text. He's offering living water to a Samaritan. That's a big deal because when the Assyrians took Israelites out of their land they left a few people in that region and those people intermarried with foreigners who settled there and their descendants were the Samaritans. So the the Jews who came back after their exile viewed these people as half-breeds. They were not loyal politically. Their religion was corrupt. Ethnically, they were polluted and so they looked down on them. It's a big deal that Jesus is offering living water to a Samaritan woman. He offered it to a Samaritan woman. At one point, Jewish leaders actually institutionalized this law, this bias that Samaritan women were permanently and perpetually unclean. Anything they touched would be unclean. And Jesus is offering offering living water to her. There's this incredible contrast between this woman at the well and Nicodemus in chapter 3. I mean, Nicodemus is a Jewish man, one of the highest teachers in all the land, religiously perfect, and Jesus says to him, you must be born again, which means to every one of us, if he had to be born again, we need to be born again. But the fact that Jesus offers living water to a Samaritan woman, a sexually immoral Samaritan woman nonetheless, means if this is for her, it's for everybody. If it was available to her with her past and her social status and her ethnicity, and her gender, then all of those categories are are gone. Nobody is excluded from the offer of living water on the basis of any of those things that people put their stock in. So if you will receive and drink the living water Jesus freely offers, then this is his promise to you. You will never thirst again. Verses 13 and 14, whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. Never thirsting again doesn't mean that you never face heat in life. It doesn't mean that you never face drought in life. It means you never run out of living water, ever. I love how Jeremiah 17 says this, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. And maybe that's where you've been dwelling for some time. Just feels like a desert. Then listen to this gospel, this good news. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. And get this does not fear when the heat comes. Heat comes, but those who have living water aren't afraid of the heat because they have water, for its leaves remain green. And it is not anxious in the year of the drought. Drought comes, but when you have water, it's okay, and you don't cease to bear fruit. That's what it means to never thirst again. Never thirsting again does not mean that God removes from you your soul desires. It means he satisfies them. He fulfills them with himself. Think about it like this. Have you ever been enjoying a meal that's so good that you just want to keep savoring the experience of tasting the food and eating the meal, but you get full and you realize I have to stop eating at some point, and it's a little bit disappointing because the food's so good? Anybody? (laughs) Maybe that's just me. I just think, oh, it tastes so good. I'd like to just keep eating that and enjoying that. When God satisfies your soul desires, he doesn't take away your desire for him. He gives you himself and the ability to go on enjoying him savoring him. It's not like, oh, I had a sip of that water, now I'm good, I don't need God anymore. No, we keep going back to this inexhaustible reservoir because he is all that we need and he supplies himself endlessly. That's what it means to thirst no more. That's what broken, empty cisterns can't do. Sin is pleasurable for a time. Sin can offer some kind of pseudo-soul satisfaction. But it's stagnant. At the same time that you think it's satisfying your soul, it's poisoning you with all those parasites growing in it. Not the water Jesus offers. Look at verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town. Now, it could be she just went away in such a hurry that she forgot it. It could be that she left it there for Jesus to get that drink he had asked for. I mean, he, he was actually physically thirsty still. Or could it be that her heart just began to taste the living water Jesus offered for her soul and that water was no longer the main concern on her mind anymore because her soul was so satisfied? Listen to what this looks like in the life of a sinner. The words, the testimony of Augustine. He lived in the 4th, 5th centuries A.D., He spent his life looking for soul satisfaction in empty cisterns. And in his confessions, he writes I abandoned you to pursue the lowest things of creation. I was dust going to dust. I am dust, and I'm looking to dust to satisfy. That just leads to more dryness, more parched soul. My sin consisted in this, that I sought pleasure, sublimity, and truth, not in God, but in his creatures, in myself and other created beings. Augustine was especially ensnared in sexual lusts and immorality. And God, in in an incredible way, saved him, gave him Supernaturally, new life by the Spirit. Listen how he describes his experience of living water. How sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I had once so feared to lose. You drove them from me. You, who are the true, the sovereign joy, you drove them from me and you took their place. You, who are sweeter than all pleasure though not to flesh and blood. Have you experienced that? Can you imagine that kind of soul satisfaction, the very fountainhead of pure, refreshing, soul-satisfying water available to you at every moment and in every situation? Drink living water from Jesus. That's what this text calls you to do today and the next time that you are facing some heat the next time you recognize some sign or symptom of your own soul thirsts the next time you are anxious or afraid next time there's a conflict in your marriage or the next time you're tempted to turn to pornography or despair and hopelessness just settle in you know how they do you just sense and thoughts of hopelessness just weigh on you like this dark cloud and you can't see anything else except for how awful the future's going to be or you find yourself wallowing in some bitterness and resentment towards someone who has wronged you. And you think it's okay because, I mean, they really did sin against you. And all you're thinking about is, that sin. And I mean, that's, if it's sin, how could it be wrong to think that is wrong? Except you don't even realize your own soul is trapped in bitterness about it. Or you feel hopeless and miserably unhappy. Next time you recognize that, you, your thought, first thought should be, my soul is thirsty. My soul is thirsty. So turn to Jesus for living water. Isaiah 55, Caleb read this as our call to worship today. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Just start recognizing your unpleasant emotions. For what they are signs of, of thirst if, if you don't think of them that way then you, you will think of those things as emotions that just happen to you they just you can't do anything about it they just happen to you and settle on you and you're helpless but if you learn to recognize them as signs of soul thirst and then, then you'll know what to do you'll turn to Jesus God means I mean thirst can be uncomfortable right soul thirst are uncomfortable feelings God means for us to feel that, so that our hearts would be alerted to our need for Him. So, how do you do that? How do you drink that water? It's it's crazy simple. Simple is not the same thing as easy, but it's profoundly simple. You, you just repent and believe. That's how you go to the well and drink from this living water. When the Samaritan woman said, "Sir, give me this water." Jesus just put his finger on her sin. So ask yourself, what am I wanting? What am I desiring so much that's not God? What am I wanting instead of God? And then confess that. Confess that to God. I I just pray, God, you know that I'm desiring approval from this person more than from you right now. I just admit that, and that's sin, it's wrong. I'm turning from that. I have in you justification, approval, acceptance. I have that from you. I forsake that broken well. Turn away from it, whatever it is, and then drink living water by believing. Repent and believe. You drink living water. You just take gulps of it by Believing. John 6, 35, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. John seven thirty seven. if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. Come and drink means come, believe. Direct your soul to God, the fountain of living water, and in prayer, just Ask Him for living water. Ask Him for soul satisfaction. Turn the desires and longings of your heart toward Him and then profess in faith that He alone can satisfy. And then trust a specific promise from God. I think when Isaiah prophesies that with joy they will draw water from the wells of salvation, I think the buckets, the cups, the vessels with which we draw water from the well of salvation Those cups are specific promises from God, all that He offers to be for us. If you're not believing and trusting a specific promise, you're not drinking from the well. As much as you say, I believe in God, believe Him to do what? To be what? What are you trusting Him for? The only thing to trust Him for is what He said He will do. So hold fast to a specific promise and just... Quench the thirst of your soul with all that God promises to be. Let's pray. I pray, Father, that you would cause living water to satisfy the thirsty without cost. You give freely. You give so generously to all. And yet we, in our stubbornness and rebellion and sin, turn away from you repeatedly, and we go back again and again and again to these empty cisterns. Forgive us. Forgive us, O God. And let us living water satisfy, pour out your spirit upon us that, that our souls would taste and know that you are good. And God, would, would you cause that experience of living water in us to be so real and so deep and so joy-producing, so satisfying and comforting, so transformational that, that we would gladly and eagerly and earnestly bear witness to others. There are so many around us whose souls are parched and dry and they are looking in all the wrong places. And, and we know that, Jesus, you alone are the source of living water, and so use us and multiply our witness in this community that many more people would come to know and drink and be satisfied to your glory and for their good and for our joy. Amen. Amen.